0: Berg, and welcome
1: to the 34. Can I just join in there, Dr. Bill, quickly? Because I'm in the same event that Pilar is Michael Lighty. President of Healthy California now on the PDA Advisory Board. And uh, I have participated in a number of these luncheons. So thank you all for, for doing this again. I'm just sorry I have a conflict as well. And I just want folks to know that we're not giving up on single payer and Medicare for all type reform in California. We're going to press hard on the governor to fill, fulfill his promise as he faces re election. And we're going to take advantage of the opportunity we have from this Healthy California for All Commission to move that policy. And to argue about this for the savings and the um, life-saving aspects of single-payer. So, thank you Recording all for your in progress. To that fight, and I look forward to continuing it with you. Thanks a lot.
2: Thank you, Michael. Really appreciate all all of your amazing work. Thank you so much, and Pilar. Thank you so much.
3: For anyone in San Diego, I just want to drop in. I'm uh, organizing a peace rally tomorrow from noon to 12 in Bell Ball Park, uh, along with Activist San Diego uh, for peace in Ukraine and peace everywhere and nonviolence and all that. So I'd love to have you all there. Thank you for that.
4: Rally. I'm sorry, Dr. Bell, it's Ilka. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. What time is the rally? Um, noon to two o'clock, 12 to
3: two at the Bia Evinson Fountain. i put, I put the link in the chat and if anyone wants to get on the speaker lineup, hit me up. Um, PDA has already endorsed this event as well.
4: Um, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. I'm part of the DACA team and Tiffany, thank you for doing the good fight. So 12 to two and you need more speakers. Um...
3: Yeah, <laughs> we've got a pretty big lineup, but I'm willing to make everyone uh, make everyone who wants to speak get up there. So uh, also musicians, if anyone wants to play music, I'm also seeing if I can get roller skaters to show up for the hour before and do a big solidarity ride. Wouldn't that be cool? But I don't have skates myself, but I've got the word out to all the skater communities in San Diego. So we'll see. Nice.
5: And just a reminder, if you're not speaking, please mute yourself. Um, and then also, I wanted to welcome Mike Ortega. He's running for uh, California CD46 against a, a corporate Democrat, Lucrea. Let's welcome him.
6: Hey, Mike. Yeah, Mike, if you have something you'd like to say to the group uh, for a couple of minutes. That uh, was a good time. Make yourself All right. At home. <laughs>
7: no, absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for having me here. You know, it's a pretty busy crunch time right now. We're going up to uh, filing deadlines and uh, uh, fundraising and organizing field. And as you know, we're, we're, we're very much a grassroots campaign, so uh, we don't have Pfizer or Chevron footing our bills. Um, so again, if you haven't met me before, I'm Mike Ortega. Uh, I'm running in California's 46th congressional district, and I'm challenging Luke Correa, uh, who has a long history of taking blood money from pharmaceutical industry, uh, the oil companies, and overall just uh, being an absolute vile human being when it comes to any effort of making progressive change and is the definition of a career politician. He's been in elected office for 25 years um, and he pretty much uh, manages and leads through intimidation and, and thuggery and quid pro quo Uh, with with no sense of principles. Um, On our end, of course, we're fighting for Medicare for All, for real immigration reform, a Green New Deal. And it's quite the fight. You know, the opening guns of the fight started when uh, our campaign began an effort to pull the Democratic nomination uh, from the consent calendar of Lou Correa. We were successful in the first pass. And um, I, I chatted about this with the Orange County PDA. Uh, And similar to what we saw with Bernie in 2016, where the Democratic establishment began wanting to protect itself. And so people who are elected leaders within the Democratic Party here in Orange County who have voted uh, for resolutions to support Medicare for all, who have spoken very uh, and, and very fiery language in favor of progressive values, began rallying to support the incumbent Lucaria. And through word on the street and a lot of gossiping, there was a lot of intimidation going on, uh, intimidation of elected officials who were supporting our campaign. Uh, There was uh, outright uh, coercion uh, that was going on. And these are by so-called self-professed progressive leaders from the Democratic Party in Orange County and i think what we're seeing is once the democratic establishment really starts to see a threat to its power then true colors begin to show and and that this is a part of what our fight is is exposing here is uh who is really in it to fight for change and who's not um so in spite of the fact that there was uh, 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 resounding support and and uh, real grassroots objection to Lucrea's nomination. We saw people from you know corrupt individuals from labor and corrupt people from the elected in the Democratic Party of Orange county uh, rally to get votes for this incumbent who opposed the agenda of the Democratic Party of Orange County. This is an incumbent who's endorsed Republicans for the offices of sheriff and several city council seats and does so with impunity. And so our campaign is saying, hey, we can stand up to them. And so today we believe that we can defeat corporate Democrats using real grassroots strategies, using data, uh, reaching out to voters and speaking the truth and running on a principal campaign. And so today it's Lou, and uh, the rallying cry after is uh, when we defeat Lou, next are his enablers and allowing us and our movement to take the reins of what the Democratic Party is gonna be, what the future of the Democratic Party holds and um, allowing voices to be amplified that have been silenced for a long
6: time. All right, thank you, Mike. Is there anyone else who would like to speak, maybe who's running for office and uh, isn't already on our agenda? Uh,
2: uh, um, Mike, can I just, uh, for a second, just add to what um, Mike Ortega just said that um, we all remember in 2018, remember the blue wave In in Orange County, we had seven congressional seats, all won by Democrats, but we lost two of them in 2020. They were both moderate, you know, so-called moderate corporate Dems who lost their seats. Now, the only corporate Dem holdout in Orange County is Luke Correa. He needs to go. So we need Mike Ortega to take that seat away from Luke Correa. So if anyone can help. Uh, Mike
4: Ortega, please too. Okay, Okay. my hand so I can on that very question. I'm a volunteer. I'm a champion canvasser. I've gone to your website, Mike, and I haven't seen an opportunity yet to go to your area and knock doors. So, what have you got for me to do today or soon?
7: Uh, We're canvassing today. We're canvassing tomorrow and every weekend until the election. So, if you've already signed up, you should have gotten an email asking you to to uh, join our Slack channel as well as with the schedule. So uh, that's going on. I'm leading the efforts tomorrow, so I'll be happy uh, to take you out. So be sure that you're signed up through the website volunteer portal, and I'll make sure that you get reached out to. Okay,
4: and what time would that be? Just last question? Tomorrow
7: it's going to be one to four okay. in Anaheim. thank you. Bye.
6: Okay, uh, next up is... Uh,
8: Hello. I'm sorry. I, I, yeah,
6: I was just about to say you're next up. So <laughs> go Thank for you. it. Yeah. Thank
8: you very much. Dr. Bill, I hope you're here to back me up. I'm Denny Antoinette Mazingo. I know a lot of you. I am running for supervisor in the fifth district of Riverside County. Uh, Jeff Hewitt has definitely got to go. My opponent is registered as a Democrat. He's endorsed Republicans when we've had endorsed Democrats in the race. He, his whole issue is warehousing. We don't need warehouses. We need to bring our jobs back here. We need to help those that need help. I'm a strong advocate for the uh, unhoused and the housing market. And I think that um, if we work together, I don't have a lot of money, but I need people on the ground and I need chats and I need people to assist me, please help me. We need to get these two people out. This area has never been represented. Our uh, our county supervisor board is three, uh, f- I'm sorry, four Republicans and one DEM, we get nothing done. And I want to get in there and fight for those that need assistance. Thank we need, you. All right.
2: Thank but you, Denny. You know, we need Denny and that right?
8: Okay, I'm nervous I think, so I probably didn't
6: talk right but <laughs> I hope you got me nope, you're great I, I think what I'd like to do now is we will have opportunities for people to give a one minute or something coming up uh throughout uh, the uh throughout the lunch um what I would like to do now though is turn it over to our two MCs who um I think we can have them introduce each other See, and
2: my, uh, just before that, sorry to interrupt, uh, and again, you know, this is kind of the uh, Mike her and Dr. Bill show here because uh, Mike is, of course, president. If for those who don't know, Mike, of course, is president of TADACA, which is our state PAC for progressive Democrats. I'm the state coordinator for PDA National, but I know we do have one other candidate who is waiting, waiting patiently, uh, David Dodson. Can we give him just, you know, uh, like half a minute? Before we go, turn it over to the MCs, and then then because I know they're going to bring in Alan and and others,
6: and us for that matter. Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> but uh, I know David was waiting there too,
6: so. Okay, all right. David, Thanks. go ahead. You got uh, a couple minutes. Go ahead. Rudy,
2: thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank 30 you. Thirty seconds.
6: Okay.
2: <laughs> no, so thank you. I'm a I'm a progressive Democrat. I'm running for the board of equalization. I'm the most qualified candidate. The Board of Equalization oversees your property tax system. I've worked in property tax assessment at the Board of Equalization for 30 years. I run the Southern California office and I'm committed to using my knowledge in this very specialized field to protect your rights while staying true to my progressive values. This is my life's work. And uh, uh, anyways, I'm just gonna cut it short, but I'm a public servant, not a politician. I'm a grassroots candidate, so I won't be up for the... Well, uh, some oh, I lost somebody. his audio. It doesn't yeah. say mute, but I, David, sorry, uh-huh. we lost your audio. Don't know why. He's talking and talking, <laughs> but we lost his audio.
6: But okay. uh, we may be able to uh, put you in um, uh, a little bit later too. Well,
2: yeah, we'll bring you back because lost the okay. audio. Dr.
6: Okay. Bill, can
5: I bring up just we just a basic um, Zoom etiquette? If you're not speaking, please mute yourself. It's very yeah. hard to hear people that are speaking if we have open mics. Thank you.
2: Thank you Jeanette, uh, for that reminder. And it, if you have the convention playing in the background, you need to turn that off at this point. The meeting, Our meeting has gotten too large for that.
6: Okay. Thanks, Mike. Turn it back to you. All right. I just turned on the transcript. So if you would like, you can uh, you can uh, turn it on on your computer and Um, You know, see some closed captioning, Um, but at this time, I would like to turn the meeting over to our two MCs, and um, that would be Bobby Lopez. And it would be oh jeez, Damien
9: Elachoni. <laughs> it's okay, I have a wicked long. Okay, life.
6: but why don't uh, since you're up on the screen, why don't you introduce Bobby, and then she can introduce you, and then you can start with the agenda.
9: Sure. Actually, I think we're going to introduce ourselves uh, for at the moment, just because Bobby and I just met today. But I'm super happy and excited to be co-hosting. Um, As mentioned before, my name is Damian Pelliccioni. I'm actually one of the CEO, I'm the CEO one of four intersectional and diverse co-founders of Reverie TV, which is the world's largest LGBTQ television network. You can download it anywhere in the world on any device. Um, I just to give you a little bit of background, my mother is watching right now from Toronto, Canada. I am a first generation immigrant. I became a naturalized citizen of the United States in 2018, went through the same immigration process that everyone else does. Um, because I am the son of a politician. My mother actually worked in politics for many years in Canada, and my father was an entrepreneur. And that basically is uh, where I'm coming into play. So I'm starting you know, my first uh, action here, and uh, I'm really excited to be part of the Progressive Democratic uh, Assembly here for today. And we're excited to bring you a lot of amazing speakers. And I'm gonna toss to my fabulous, fabulous co-host, um, Bobby Lopez.
0: Hi, everybody. Also super glad to be here with all of you. Just really want to appreciate how we started this meeting. So many people doing land acknowledgements. Um, you know, I'm calling, I'm virtually speaking from Ohlone land myself. I'm also going to do that last thing. Someone very kindly reminded me to to um, mute. I'm also going to ask folks to also mute if they can, because uh, we have a long line of speakers and we want to be able to hear all the amazing work that's happening across our state. There is progressive movement anywhere and everywhere, and we want to make sure we're plugging in and supporting that action. I, myself, am from the Bay Area. I lived many years in San Francisco and now many years in Oklahoma. Oakland, Uh, I know some of you because I've been involved with PDA in in the Bay Area, um, but also because um, I've been involved, was one of the founders of the SF Latino Democratic Club, uh, very proudly the former vice president of the Harvey Milk LGBT Democratic Club, and also thank you for the support of PDA. I'm now serving on our Alameda County Democratic Central Committee, uh, which is, you know, we're trying to really pass very powerful things and be on the cutting edge and be extremely progressive. And I'm proud of our central committee. We got a lot of progressives elected and we are doing things. And that's exactly what I my vision is for the rest of California, to be doing what we're doing in Alameda and making and doing corporate free community run campaigns that elect people from our community that can speak to the issues most impactful. Uh, just real quickly, I also was very proud to be a former staffer to uh, former uh, Supervisor Jane Kim, uh, who was also uh, you know on the Bernie campaign. And I was a big fan of Bernie, um, of course. Um, and also uh, staff for Vice Mayor Rebecca Kaplan, uh, and we got to do some great work with some of you here. Uh, you know, on a police accountability, on uh, protecting uh, on the overuse of surveillance technology, on prevailing wage. There's so many different fights that we have all been a part of, and it's just so important to continue to be uh, continue to be intersectional. And that's what we're going to do here today. We're going to hear from a lot of different speakers from across the spectrum, uh, some that I work with, and some that I've never met. But I'm so thankful that they're doing the work on the ground. Um, and so I'm going to just stop with that. Um, the, well, I'll say one more thing, actually. Today, if you are in the uh, Ohlone, if you are in the Bay Area, there is a big march happening today in Oakland against school closures. So I am going to drop that link in the chat. If you're able to, it'd be great to join all the parents. We're, you know, we're facing about 15 different school closures due to state austerity measures. Um, and it's very traumatizing for children. And so I just want to really say, Uh, How important it is to just even if you don't live in our area, we need to support you and you need to support us. And that's how we win. Um, So I'm going to pass it over and see who we have next uh, to kind of kick it off. I know we have our PDA board. I would love to hear from our PDA board members. We have Dr. Bill here. We have Mike here. uh, We have Shirley and we have the very own Alan Minsky here, so I don't know how we want to start kicking it off, but let's start hearing maybe first from our board members, if that works for everybody. Although you
6: missed something, um, you missed Damien's opportunity to introduce himself.
9: Oh, Oh, no, I did. I did it before. (laughs) Oh, in that case, (laughs) never mind. I'll be quiet. No, it's okay. And also (laughs) just one note for all the speakers and everyone, I will be holding up a two-minute and one-minute timekeeper so we can stay on track for today's schedule.
2: Okay. Well, I can go very quickly. Uh, so welcome, everybody. Uh, PDA California has been doing this uh, lunch alternative luncheon uh, for as long as PDA has been in existence. And uh, at the California Democratic Convention, um, I would just point out that uh, this year a whole lot of discussion is going on uh, about from whom is the party taking money. And uh, and why is it that when the party needs to step up on the issues that concern us, it does not. And does that have to do with that fact that they're taking money from those uh, corporate interests? So um, I also want to point out that it's all about candidates this year, of course, because it's the midterms uh, and uh, and also inviting you to join us for our weekly uh, town halls still happening every Sunday. Um, If you're not going to be at a protest tomorrow at 1 p.m. Pacific time, please join us for our town hall. I'll drop the link in the chat. And otherwise, let me just uh, um, yield uh, uh, 30 seconds to my friend uh, Francis Yasmin Matawala, who's uh, working for a candidate. Uh, if you'd just like to make a quick announcement, uh, Francis, thank you. Thank
3: you so much, Dr. Bill. I really appreciate it. i um, putting on my campaign manager hat now. I'm working with Dan O'Donnell, who's running for city council in Vista, California. Vista is in play this year in a major way. Uh, we've got Cipriano Vargas running for mayor and Dan running for a city council seat. Um, this could be the first time we flipped Vista in its 60-year 60, 60 history to be a Democrat run. And not only are Cipriano and Dan great Democrats, they're progressives, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> I mean, tell everyone, but, you know, we're running in a, in a sort of purple district. So uh, any support? And I'll put in the info in the chat. Thank
2: you, Thanks. Francis. Back to you, Mike.
6: Okay. Um, am I mute? New- no, I am not muted. So theoretically, you can see me. Um, the, uh, I uh, In case you're unaware, we have two groups of people. Uh, or we have the. Let me start over. PDA has two branches. The main branch, of course, is Progressive Democrats of America. They um, handle national issues, um, and they uh, uh, are interested in. Uh, Congress on up. Um, about three years ago we formed Padaca. P- PDA, California is what it stands for, but not to be confused with regular old PDA. Uh, we are a state pack and we're um, concerned with state and local issues. And we are also concerned with uh, candidates from governor down to and including dog catchers. So we handle state and local issues and candidates, whereas PDA handles national issues and candidates. But those issues are really shared by the two groups. And it's been a hell of a year, and it will be even more of a hell of a year from the California point of view and the national point of view. Uh, we just got off of a long fight uh, to get AB 1400 healthcare for um, all Californians is what we called it. It was uh, CalCare was the the technical name of it. Unfortunately, we didn't it didn't get passed as I'm sure you're all painfully aware. but we put in a good effort and Padaca people uh, were asked to and called their uh, assembly people and um, we've done things like that with other issues and it's been a big help. So watch your uh, email. if you're a member of PDA and a Californian, you're also a member of Padaca and you will get emails. On things that we uh, believe you will want to uh, take part in, but coming up, uh, you know, the the issues of PDA are are also the issues of California, and um, in this year, I can see, or we can all see, really that it's it's going to be important that we work on those basic issues. For instance, end corporate rule um, the. Corporations are basically taking over the Democratic Party and many uh, the state Democratic party, and uh, many of um, our candidates. Um, there's the climate emergency. We uh, have very many local things and statewide things. Uh, that we need to do to try to slow down the climate emergency. We'll be working on that this year. Uh, There's voter protection, which isn't a major problem, as far as we can tell, in California, but it's certainly a problem um, nationwide. And, of course, there's economic and social justice, and, in fact, one of our... um, Uh, topics that we'll have speakers talking about a little bit later. uh, We will have go. Uh, We'll have speak on it. Um, So as I say, uh, join PDA Padaki if you're not already a member and watch your emails and participate. And I think we can make a big difference this coming year. So now I would like to uh, introduce uh, Alan Minsky, who is the executive director of PDA, to say a few words.
10: Go ahead, Alan. Thank you so much, Mike. And um, uh, yes, uh, Mike is correct. We are we are a federal PAC. And we also, though, have something which overlaps with PADACA, which is we have a national uh, 501c4 lobbying wing. Uh, and uh, there I will talk about how in California some of the nationally endorsed projects are really at play in California in a moment. Just to start, though, I want to give a shout out to Dorothy Reich, who's with us. I see she has her camera off. Dorothy had a positive COVID diagnosis recently, so Dorothy's with us, but I hope Dorothy feels better, and thank you, as always, for everything, Dorothy. Um, And um, on the candidates, PDA, it's a very complex year out there, it's a crazy year, in terms of uh, districts being reset around the country. Because of that, uh, nationally, we have only endorsed a handful of candidates as we really wanted to focus on Texas. We did well progressives, as you probably heard in Texas. Um, uh, but uh, as, as our two candidates, one went into a runoff and one won outright, Greg Kassar. Uh, and um, that was because Texas was two months before every other state. So Mike Ortega is actually first in the queue. He was the first uh, uh, candidate that was endorsed by a local chapter and the national election team will be reviewing that and Almost undoubtedly, yes, for sure, 99.9% uh, having a national endorsement for Mike Ortega. Um, we are, it's a very complex year, and we are making a big push for a unified progressive force to move the uh, federal House caucus well to the left, to hold on to the Senate, and also move the, the House caucus well to the left. And one of our big initiatives at PDA is to organize around one thing. Uh, as well as many other things, but we're calling for uh, Democratic candidates to embrace a 21st century economic bill of rights. I put the link into the chat and um, I look forward to working with Mike and other PDA endorsed candidates and lifting that up as one of the unifying messages for a progressive left in the country. Um, So I do want to mention that quickly three things that have that are coming to a head in terms of California and our um, lobbying around the country. One is we are a supporter of high-speed rail, Um, and uh, we are advocates not only for high-speed rail and for the California high-speed rail to be um, funded and to be built upon and continued, but that it also be entirely green. And believe it or not, we have some Democrats in the assembly who are trying to see that some of these extension lines as they build it out are actually fueled by fossil fuels. That's not what high-speed rail has to be about in the 21st century. So we'll be advocating for green high-speed rail, uh even in a budgetary hearing as soon as Tuesday. If anybody on the call is interested in assisting in that process, my email is Alan. I'll put it in the chat, Alan at pdamerica.org, specifically around California high-speed rail. We will be supporting an $18 minimum wage ballot initiative that will be on the California ballot in all likelihood in November. Um, and we're doing that in harmony with our calls, of course, for affordable housing across California. Tip of the hat to the great Susie Shannon who works tirelessly with PDA and on that issue. And then lastly, um, we are, of course, huge advocates. We were for AB 1400, for what Michael Lighty just spoke about in terms of continuing the push for single payer healthcare in California. I think it's it's uh, poignant that a year ago when I joined this call, I was in line at Dodger Stadium for my first shot. Remember, we all had to wait for it to come down to our age group on, on, on whatever it was in March of April. Whenever we had this meeting last year, that's where I was in queue to get my shot. And it, you know, when you look at the horrible death statistics and the COVID infections in California, where did they hit? They hit working class communities of color. Okay, and of course, the public health then uh, tragedy of COVID in California was so profound. And remember, last year in the winter. L.A. County was the hottest spot in the entire world, folks. We need a public health system. We need a a health system in the United States that serves the people, not the profits. And we need to always lift up candidates who will truly advocate for that. And we saw how important that is on every state assembly race, every state senate race, and PDA and PDAC will be there for that. And I also just want to end with we are always going to continue to be supportive for all legislation that lowers college and education costs. IN CALIFORNIA AND THERE ARE BILLS THERE WE OF COURSE ARE SUPPORTERS OF THE $66 FIX FOR ABSOLUTELY ACROSS THE BOARD FREE HIGHER EDUCATION FOR ALL CALIFORNIA RESIDENTS AT THE PUBLIC SCHOOLS $66 OF THE AVERAGE TAX BILL PER PERSON TO ACHIEVE THAT PEOPLE DON'T KNOW WITH A STATE WITH 40 MILLION PEOPLE IT WOULD BE THAT LOW AND THAT WOULD JUST BE SUCH A BOON TO OUR SOCIETY IN EVERY WAY IMAGINABLE AND TO WORKING CLASS COMMUNITIES ACROSS CALIFORNIA. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, Damien. Great to meet both of you. I'm going to tell my friends about the, um, again, Damien, put the link in there to that TV network. I, I want will. to get that out to you. Thank you.
9: <laughs> thank you. I will. And it's funny that you're just around the corner in Highland Park. I, my my partner and I just moved to Lincoln Heights from Echo Park, so we'll definitely get together for um, for some happy hour at some point. Um, sure. Now, uh, if we can, I'd love to uh, introduce our first speaker and just FYI for uh, all the speakers, I will be holding up a two minute and one minute card. Um, this next person, uh, really excited to introduce. They will be speaking for five minutes. Then afterwards, I'll introduce um, the Honorable Ted Lieu. Uh First up, we've got. Oh, go ahead, Bobby.
0: I think we still have to finish up our PDA board. Oh, sorry. We do have uh, I know we're so excited to go straight into the programming and we're going right, go to in just a second. But as I always say on campaigns, you're nowhere without your field. Um, so the next person I want to introduce is Danette Abbott-Wicker, uh, who is the PDA field director. And then we'll get to the wonderful presentations.
5: Thanks, Bobby. Great to have you all here. Um, I just wanted to introduce myself really quickly and uh, drop a couple of info uh, things on you. Uh, we are, um, I am field coordinator for national and also work on um, PDA California with sending blast, keeping people informed of what's going on. And my big focus right now is climate, climate justice. Um, and especially in California, um, I want everyone to keep an eye on two issues. Uh, the first one is the rooftop solar tax that they are trying to um, pass. I have been on several calls with a CPUC. Uh, we actually um, had them delay um, the vote. So um, I think that's great. That works. Um, people have to keep the pressure up. So I'm gonna go ahead and put in the chat uh, the schedule for the next meetings. Please get on board. We were on hold for over seven hours one day. Uh, people trying to make comments. Over four hundred people on the line making comments about this tax. It's gonna. It's going to impact people that already have solar um, on their roofs. It's going to impact people that want to get solar. Um, it's not the way to lead the country. Uh, if we're if we're talking one way and acting another. We need to lead the country in getting green energy to the forefront. So I'm going to go ahead and put that in the chat. And then also another issue to keep your eye on is the whole PG&E uh, situation up in the north. Uh, they were, as you know, responsible for several fires over the past few years. One of them, what they, what they, uh, a couple of them, what they call mega fires, which is over a million acres in size. Um, and they're now trying to pass those costs onto the consumers. Boo bad, bad, bad news. So I'm going to put that information in the chat. So please uh, keep an eye out for that. If you can hop on those calls, I would really appreciate it. We need to get this done. And that's all I have for now. Thanks.
9: All right. I want to make sure, Bobby, is that all of the leadership?
0: I believe so. Thank you so much into the program. Yes. Oh,
9: great. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm just so excited to be doing this today uh, and I'm really excited to actually be um, introducing our first speaker, our five, one of our five-minute speakers. Jody Evans is an American political activist, author, documentary film producer, actually nominated for an Oscar award. She characterizes her activism as working for peace and justice, environmental causes, and women's rights. She's traveled extensively promoting what she terms the conflict resolution by peaceful means, including leading citizen diplomacy delegations in Iran, Gaza Strip and Afghanistan. Evans served at the cabinet level for uh, Governor Jerry Brown and managed his 1992 campaign for presidency. Evans is currently a co-founder of the women's anti-war activist organization Code Pink. Please, everyone, give a warm welcome to Jody Evans
11: good morning amazing pda activists i was just remembering the first day of pda in boston and tim and um that we started pda um because the democratic party had become the party of war with no concern for the poor and that was 18 years ago so um first take a breath take a breath and in this moment to really be with the death and destruction that is caused by U.S. bombs around the world. By U.S. military imperialist strategies formed in rooms in Washington, D.C. by arrogant, stupid imperialists. Weapons made from greed that have nothing to do with the security of people. Take a breath. Now I call on you to do all you can to stay sane in this moment of U.S. imperialism on steroids. Yes, Putin is crazy and dangerous, but that is the favorite pawn of U.S. militarism. Push them into a corner, make them crazy, and strike. A few months ago, I saw Congressman Berman, who came running up to me, telling me his nightmares every night. They will not leave him. I was right, he said. I tried and tried to tell him, but he could not hear, and he is so sorry for the Iraq war. Fog of war is not a joke. Stay out of it. Stay sane. Stay connected to the truth that war and weapons are not the answer. Stay with this very recent history of the last 20 years and glean your wisdom from there. Diplomacy must work or leaders fail. Sending weapons is to create more war, to kill more people, to prolong the suffering, and it is a crime. The U.S. spent $22 trillion of your tax dollars in the last 20 years on the war on terror. Now millions are starving in Afghanistan. Innocent people used by the struggle between U.S. and Russia. We have seen it in the movies. U.S. depleting Russia and Afghanistan. Now they are using Ukraine. Yes, the people of Ukraine are suffering. The people of the world are in terror. Our young people already struggle now. Now they can't get out of bed. War is not the answer. Everyone has lost their minds, and that is what bombing, bombs dropping does. That is what war does. It takes us to our greatest fears and most reductive thinking. But U.S. weapons have been raining down on people in Yemen for years, killing innocent women and children. U.S. bombs given to Saudi dictators. U.S. funds Israel to kill and imprison Palestinian freedom fighters. All of the Iraqi pushback was freedom fighting against a U.S. illegal, immoral, unconstitutional invasion. You all know this. Stand with it. Stand with the truth. We and the planet need it. The IPCC report this week should have you all more frightened than the bombs dropping. We are going over a cliff and no one is rowing the other way. War is the greatest industrial contributor to climate change. It must end. We must stop investing in war and weapons. Cut the Pentagon. There's always enough money for war and not the poor. We have to flip that or we're going off the cliff. You can sign our letter to the Russian anti-war protesters joining with them calling for the Russian troops to leave Ukraine. They are risking so much. I'll put it in the chat. We must be for no NATO expansion. And after you call your member of Congress and tell them war is not the answer, tell the media to tell the truth and quit driving wars. Stand for peace wherever you are. Back people off their cliffs. Get them to stand for peace, to be peace, to be local, to be relational. This is the moment to er educate that war is not the answer. Tomorrow at noon, join the Global Calls for rallies. We in LA are at Windward and Venice Beach at noon. But you can find the closest to you at our Code Pink website, peaceinukraine.org. And if you want to do something immediately for the people in Ukraine and the refugees, send money to World Central Kitchen. They are doing the most and they are across the border feeding people in the most effective way I've ever witnessed. I worked with them in Tijuana. We fed almost 10,000 a day. Send money there as they are not racists. Take time to point out the victims of U.S. wars in Yemen, Syria, Ethiopia, Sudan, Palestine, Afghanistan, and Iraq. Don't let your White Lives Matter slip show. Call to disarm all nuclear weapons now. We are at the brink of nuclear war every day. Call on disarmament. This could have been avoided. George Kennan of the CIA, when he agreed to NATO not one inch closer, knew that that would create this moment if we didn't agree to it. The complexities of Ukraine make Iraq and Afghanistan look like a cakewalk. Obama refused to arm Ukraine because he knew it would take us here. Call out the propaganda. Start now, because Congress has voted another $90 million to lie to Americans about China. So stay off the mainstream media. It serves the empire. Don't be used by war. Be a peacemaker. Call your congressperson. Stand for peace. Stand for the planet. And join us in Washington, D.C. on Juneteenth with the Poor People's Campaign, because we need to start rowing in the other direction, or we're off a cliff. Thank you for all you do. Onward to peace.
9: Wonderful. Thank you, Jody, so much for being with us today. And thank you for that really compelling speech. It's great to meet you as well. Okay, next up, we have um, a really wonderful speaker. Um, I would have the pleasure and the honor to introduce uh, Congressman Ted Lieu, an American politician, Air Force Reserve Command Colonel, who's represented California's 33rd congressional district in the U.S. House of Representatives since 2015. A member of the Democratic Party, Lou is one of 18 members of Congress who naturalized U.S. citizens. He represented uh, he represented the 28th District in California State Senate from 2011 to 2014. And in 2005 to uh, 2010, he was a California State Assemblyman representing the 53rd District. Uh, I personally wanted to take a moment to thank um, uh, Congressman Lou for passing uh, in 2012, the Sexual Orientation Challenge efforts, which basically banned conversion therapy for LGBTQ and other folks in our state, which then became on a national stage, obviously um, the uh, tent pole for everybody else in all the other states to start banning conversion therapy. So thank you A for your support and thank you also for um, your service to this country. And without further ado, I would love to turn the floor over and introduce I'm um, Ted Lieu.
1: Uh, thank you so much, Damien, uh, for your wonderful introduction. I'm very pleased that over 20 states have now uh, also done similar laws to ban conversion therapy. Uh, I heard Alan earlier today uh, talk about Greg Kassar. I'm very pleased to have helped him in his primary and, and thrilled that he won it outright. He's going to be an amazing member of Congress. And I want to thank all of you. Uh, not only do you help elect Democrats, you also Uh, make sure that we remain good uh, once we're elected. And I wanna thank uh, Dorothy uh, for inviting me to speak today. I thought I'd talk a little bit about the campaigns as we're heading into November and to uh, give all of you uh, some hope. I believe that we have a very good shot of holding the House and expanding the Senate. And here are some reasons why. What we saw uh, with, for example, the last two presidential elections is we saw a separation uh, between who people voted for president and who they voted for their member of Congress. And it, in the past, it used to be that uh, the president who was incoming and won would have all these members of Congress that would come in on the coattails. That actually didn't happen in 2016. Trump won and Republicans lost seats in the House. In 2020, Biden won and Democrats lost some seats in the House, which means that we're at actually a margin right now, even though it's a thin margin, where we have very good abilities to defend every one of those seats. And it's gonna be harder for Republicans to try to flip those seats because they didn't flip it in 2020. We also know that from redistricting, before the process happened, many people thought, oh, Democrats are gonna lose seats because of redistricting. The process is not yet completed, but much of it is done. And it turns out that Democrats are actually, Slightly ahead in redistricting. And at the end of the day, I think we're going to remain slightly ahead. So, for example, in California, we're going to have more Biden districts next year than we do now. In other states, we have the same phenomenon. So that is also in our advantage. And we have an amazing record to run on. Congress passed American Rescue Plan that had four goals, which was first of all to get vaccines into people's arms, to get schools to reopen, to make sure people got cash in their pockets and to create jobs. And that bill met all those goals. Every Democrat voted for it, every Republican voted against it. We got vaccines into people's arms and every passing day we get more vaccines and more boosters into people's arms. Schools have reopened and remained open. We got stimulus checks to American people and we also created 7.4 million jobs in the last 13 months, the most in U.S. history. Yesterday, a terrific jobs report came out, which showed that last month we created 678,000 jobs, which is far uh, ahead of expectations, and unemployment dropped from 4% to 3.8%. So Democrats have a very, very good story to tell, and we're going to tell that as we head into November. NPR also recently released a poll that showed Biden's approval ratings increase eight points uh, since the State of the Union speech. And with COVID declining now, I do think that in a few months, the American people are going to be in an even better place. And I look forward to his approval rating increasing even more. And so I think we have a a pretty darn good shot of holding the House. And then I think we can expand the Senate. We have more Republican Senators up who have to defend their seats uh, than Democrats uh, in these swing states. So we have legitimate shots in Wisconsin, in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, in Florida. And I think if we're able to expand the Senate by, uh, for example, two seats, then it really doesn't matter what Joe Manchin says anymore. And so uh, we have an opportunity to, I think, do some amazing things. And I look forward to working uh, with all of you. By the way, Damien, I actually have no idea how long uh, I'm supposed to speak. Uh, So can you just tell me how long I have to speak? Oh, you've got
9: another five minutes, sir. Okay,
1: all right. Then then let me tell you about uh, some other things uh, that we're working on. I'll tell you about some things that I'm, for example, personally working on. So facial recognition is a problem, all right? And for those of you who don't know about it, uh, uh, by the way, I'm a recovering computer science major. So I have an interest in sort of technology issues. Facial recognition is quite invasive of your privacy and of people's privacy. It also is known that right now the technology is not good enough, so what ends up happening is the darker your skin is, the less accurate it is. So for minorities, for example, it's less accurate than for non-minorities my view is if you then deploy these facial recognition systems across america it's basically one massive equal protection violation because you then are going to have a whole bunch of folks who are darker skin that are going to be the victims of misidentification that can cause all sorts of problems and so i'm working on legislation i'm going to introduce pretty soon that's basically going to for example require In most law enforcement cases that they have to get a warrant before they can start launching facial recognition on you. Uh, And by the way, I also want to note that you may have seen last month, the IRS had a very bad and stupid idea where they were going to require facial recognition for you to file online and they were gonna require that you send in a video selfie of yourself uh, to the IRS. So all of a sudden now you're gonna have all these folks sending in um, all these videos of their faces and have this huge database that can get hacked. But also my view was the government was using leverage where people have to file taxes to then try to get, you know, a picture of your face. And so I wrote a letter with Pramila Jayapal and Yvette Clark uh, and others, and we sent it to the IRS telling them to not do that. And we're very pleased that the IRS in fact was responsive. And about a week later, they did agree to not go forward with that very stupid uh, plan. I also uh, wanted to talk a little bit about climate change. It was really the reason I ran for Congress. Uh, I was in a state legislature. I was very honored to have co-authored AB 32, California's Landmark Global Warming Solutions Act. But I came to the conclusion that at some point it doesn't really matter what California does. We could go dark tomorrow and we wouldn't affect global warming all that much. What we need is for America to do what California has done and then the rest of the world to do what California has done. And then we have a fighting chance at mitigating global warming. So my first law that I wrote and in, uh, introduced as a member of Congress was modeled on California's AB 32. And the reason I think California did well is because we didn't write a law that said, hey, here's 797 specific things we want you to do to mitigate climate change. Uh, Instead, we set goals, which was to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by uh, by 2020 to pre-1990 levels. And then we gave an agency immense power to take us there, which in California was the California Air Resources Board. So my law... or My bill, which I hope will one day become law, does something similar. It sets goals of a 40% reduction in all greenhouse gases by 2035 and an 80% reduction by 2050. It also says we go to 100% renewable energy by 2035. And then it gives the EPA and the Department of Energy the power to take us there. So uh, it is a passion of mine to work on, on climate change. And all of you likely saw the most recent IPCC update, which is quite disturbing and chilling. And if we don't uh, do something soon, then we going to be well past the point of no, uh, of, of no return. And then let me talk about uh, one more issue, which has to do with voter suppression. So I'm pleased the House passed multiple voting rights laws. I'm disappointed the Senate did not. I think we now have to pivot and stop telling people that their vote's going to get suppressed in November because then people aren't going to vote. We have to tell Democrats that the best way to overcome voter suppression is to vote in November. The best way to stick it to these Republicans to show up and vote and to make your voices heard. And I think we need to start talking about that. And unlike sort of the Jim Crow laws in the past where, let's say, you couldn't count the number of jelly beans correctly in a jar, then you couldn't vote. Even in all these states where they did pass these really bad laws, if you're registered to vote, you can vote. It might be harder for you, there might be obstacles you have to jump through. But you're going to be able to vote and we need to get people to understand that and have them vote. Because that's the best way that we overcome voter suppression. It's how we win back uh, their narrative and expand the Senate and hold the house in November, and I see I have less than a minute left. Uh, So let me uh, end uh, with uh, some words of optimism. With the rapid decline in COVID, with more and more people getting vaccinated and with the immunity that people get from having prior COVID, I think our best days are yet to come. The next time uh, that I see all of you, uh, we're gonna be in person. And I urge all of you to continue uh, to fight for uh, good values and to keep up the good fight. And thank you so much for inviting me to speak today.
9: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Congressman. It's a pleasure to meet you. Um, I think next, Bobby, correct me if I'm wrong. Do we have someone from the assembly?
0: Um, I believe we're having a, one of a, the next speaker we have listed is, um, I believe, Ilka Weston, who's going to speak for about two minutes or so. Um, and then I know we're a little bit behind schedule, but we're, you know, we have a lot to talk about. So that makes sense. So, Ilka, if you feel comfortable to say a few words.
4: Do you see oh, my us? goodness. Hey, hey everybody. As you can see, I'm outside. I was doing what we do. I was walking and talking for a candidate that we need to get into assembly during a special election. Um, really glad to see my good friend Damian here. Bobby, so excited to meet you informally. Uh, you know, um, we have a great group of people with Padaca and with PDA. I think it's vital that people get involved, not just as delegates, but as you can see, I'm, I'm out in the rain and I was walking and talking for an amazing candidate. So thank you so much everybody for showing up today. Let's get more involved, not less involved. Uh, and, you know, thank you so much. I just love being a part of this wonderful establishment and you guys, we are the good kind of establishment, not the paid for by the establishment. So thank you.
9: Thanks, Ilka. Thank you so much for being here uh, and live from San Diego. Um, All right, uh, moving right along, I'm going to introduce our next amazing, fabulous speaker. Uh, Jennifer Esteen, a nurse, a mother, a community activist, raised by a teacher and a nurse who had to work two jobs to make ends meet, Jennifer learned the value of hard work at a young age. In 2007, during the economic collapse of the real estate market, Jennifer found herself as an unemployed realtor and a single mother facing foreclosure. Losing her home meant that the homelessness could be imminent. She fell bankruptcy fought past her darkest days, and dug deep to put herself through nursing school and become a psychiatric nurse at the San Francisco General Hospital for Psychiatric Emergency Room. After five years, Jennifer's work transferred to the Behavioral Health Center on the um, hospital's campus, where she fought alongside residents to prevent the closing of 41 permanent mental health beds in the adult residence. Uh, In 2019, she was selected to serve as vice president of organizing for SEIU 1021, along her um, to broaden her reach and her impact in politics. Um, Jennifer has lived in East Bay for nearly 20 years and has lived in Ashland with her wife and children since 2015. I have the great honor of introducing Jennifer Esteem.
12: Thank you so much, Damien. Yeah. Hey, Shirley, nice shirt. So that's right. I am a psychiatric registered nurse and have been for the last 12 years. And I'm currently running for California State Assembly to represent Assembly District 20, which is in the East Bay. It's San Leandro, Castro Valley, Hayward, our unincorporated areas, which is 140,000 out of the 500,000 constituents, and also a couple small pieces of Dublin and Pleasanton. And there are so many reasons that I'm running climate change being one to make sure that I get more involved, not less involved, like we just heard Ilka say. And also because uh, I want to see our justice system be reformed. And I want to see healthcare for every single person. I know that is a near and dear um, issue for everyone in this room today. And noticing the political climate that did not allow AB fourteen hundred to even get a vote in our legislature a few weeks ago. Um, it 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 leaves me thinking that my history and my experience as a psych nurse is probably one of our best ways in to getting access to universal health care. So I was talking with someone last week, and they actually called uh, behavioral health care a Trojan horse that can lead to universal health care. And I hadn't thought about it as any kind of like sneak. But I think people are onto something. Basically, there's a lot of appetite in this state to uh, continue investing in the behavioral health care system. Some people are getting it twisted. Uh, like we heard about CARE Court uh, in San Francisco. Well, actually, in the state from our governor, who used to be the mayor of San Francisco, we've heard about therapeutic jails in Alameda County. I think both of those are wrongheaded attempts at solving a very necessary problem. And I say it's wrongheaded because I don't think that the criminal justice system needs to be the source for behavioral health care service. And there are other people in our state who wanna solve this problem, I think, in the right way. Our state superintendent of schools, Tony Thurman, wants to put 10,000 behavioral health clinicians in our school system. He wants to provide $25,000 scholarships to incentivize people to get their education and become behavioral health providers. I think that's an excellent approach. We see Sidney Logger, who's now running for Congress, was able to get past the Crisis Response Act, which created five-year pilot programs statewide to allow uh, behavioral health clinicians, not police, to, pr- to respond to behavioral health crises. That needs to be fully funded not a pilot program. It needs to be 24-7 care with full staffing. That's a correct correct approach that we need to make into something more robust. We see uh, Rebecca Bauer-Kahan in the East Bay, also in Walnut Creek area, is trying to make 988 a reality, which would create a funding stream for people calling uh, for help when they see people in need and just like when we all, when we all pay our phone bills we have a little fee that goes to paying 911 fees it covers dispatch costs it covers some extraneous costs for police and instead of calling the police we could call 988 we need to move that legislation forward so we can pass it and get it signed into law by the governor because then we will have more funding the thing that makes that special actually is that Alameda County, where I'm running, is home to the most 5150s per capita in the state. Alameda County, where I'm running, has a jail that is going into receivership because of not providing behavioral health care, which we know jails don't do. Behavioral health care should be provided in the community. And we have a dire need. The other thing that we know is that 90 percent of all calls that result in a 5150 are nonviolent, which means we don't need the police to show up. So when you put all this political will together, when you put the understanding that we don't need to rely on police or law enforcement, what we actually need is a dedicated investment to making sure we have a pipeline of providers. Uh, I think Tony Thurman's on the right track with the scholarships and people need to go into living wage jobs When people come out of grad school as a PhD psychologist, we're talking about doctor, psychologist, or a master's prepared uh, family therapist or social worker, the first 3,000 hours that they work is as an unlicensed professional, which means sometimes they're working as interns for free or for cheap, 20 bucks an hour. That's not a living wage. It's very expensive to live in California. It's expensive to live in the Bay. If we want to solve these issues, we have to make sure that not only do we incentivize covering the cost of education, we have to incentivize people coming into the workforce to earn a living wage. And these are some of the things that I want to make sure we do when I get elected. I want to have pass a whole slew of policies as a agenda package to make sure we provide for our communities and our statewide with behavioral health care. And I would love to take your answers. I do think it is a Trojan horse into universal health care because these investments are desperately needed. And when we provide behavioral health care for all, it will be the pathway to health care for all.
9: Thank you so much, Jennifer. Um, I'm going to toss now back to Bobby, who's going to introduce the second half of our amazing panel for today. Oh, I think you're on mute, Bobby.
0: I made a joke before the presentation saying, like, at least once in a Zoom call, no matter... The fact that we've been 18 months going through Zoom, there will be a moment where I start talking (laughs) while being off mic. So that moment has happened. Let's hope that's the only moment. Um, Before we go to that, I want to make sure that our next speaker is here. Yes, he is. Um, I do want to say a few words about our next speaker because I actually had the pleasure of meeting him. I don't know if he remembers me. I was part of an immigrants rights group in San Francisco, um, um, SF Immigrants Rights Defense Committee that's now known as Free SF. Um, and I remember back in 2009, uh, then Mayor Gavin Newsom, now Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, appointed this gentleman, uh, Mr. George Gascone as our police chief. And, you know, me being kind of a young organizer was like, who's this guy coming in as police chief? I don't know him, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, especially because he was coming from Arizona, which was really the epicenter of a lot of sort of um you know, questions around racial profiling and immigration. And Mr. Gascon, I later found out, was not only frequently feuding with uh, the infamous uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, but when he met with our community, our Latino and immigrant community, he met us with open arms. He engaged us on really hard topics. He was incredibly thoughtful on trying to craft policies that address the over-policing and over-profiling of young men in our community. Um, And frankly, we created some amazing policy in tangent with his office, uh, in particular, you know, simple things like car impoundments that may be a disservice to some of the folks on this call, but could be a life-changing moment for other people who are working class and depend on their vehicles to get to work. Um, and so I just have so much to say about, positive to say about Mr. Gascon. Um, we all know right now, you know him as the, uh, you know, uh, district attorney for the, for Los Angeles County, Um, You also know him as a person who is facing a really harsh recall. But guess what? Across our country, in California, what we're seeing is a really serious and coordinated attack on progressive district attorneys. And I'm here to say that we are not going to incarcerate our problems as a society. As someone who worked with young people who were gang affiliated, I will tell you, prevention, prevention, prevention. Um, And a sole incarceration strategy means you're just recycling violence. That is what it means. There's no healing. There's no reformation. There's no restoration. And so I am here to really support and thank Mr. Gascon for being here. Um, And then if you're available, uh, uh, District Attorney Gascon, if you'd like to say a few words, we would love for you. Actually, you can say more than a few words. I think you've got a big chunk of time, if I'm correct. Uh, Yes, you do. You have 10 up to 10 minutes. Let me say up. Thank you so much. Thank
13: you. And, and Bobby, I, I do remember, if you recall, we worked together and uh, we were having a lot of our, um, you know, immigrant uh, uh, residents having their vehicles impounded and, and and basically taking their capacity to be able to go to work, to take the kids to school. And we work uh, together to eliminate that process. So thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, great to see you. And great to see all of you. I, you know, I want to thank all of you because... Frankly, I would not have been uh, as successful in San Francisco without the help of Bobby and many others in the community, and I would not be the LA District Attorney without your help. Uh, We are facing very, very difficult times, and the only way that we're going to succeed, and by the way, I believe that we will succeed, but we have to continue to work. We have to be passionate. We have to bring the same level of commitment that we've had in the past Uh, to the cycle, this election cycle, because unfortunately, I'm seeing, you know, sometimes well-meaning, but I'm seeing Democrats actually uh, quoting the same language that Tucker Carlson is bringing out uh, a few days before, and then I'm seeing some Democratic uh, uh, people talking using the same terms about, you know, the increases in crime and what we need to do. I'm really using the 1980s language, which we hear in Fox every day. But before I go into some of the things that I'd like to talk about concerning the recall. Let me just give you a walk through what we have done in 2021, because I think it's important that you see the scorecard of your work, because again, I would not have been elected in 2021 without you, and I will not remain in office, and we will not be able to work together without you. In 2021, we stopped the death penalty from being used in, LA County, and for those of you that are outside of LA County may not know this, a third of the people on death row in California today come from LA County. My predecessor had put 23 people in death row. 22 of those were men of color, African Americans. We took 17 people out of the, the, the death road track, if you will, that were in litigation, there were capital cases, that were immediately removed from that track as soon as I became the district attorney. In this last year, we have taken now eight individuals out of death row. These were people that were already convicted, have been in death row, have exhausted all their appellate process, which is important to understand. We're only one governor away from executing a lot of people unless we get rid of death penalty. We took eight people out of death row this last year we have now have over 100 kids that were on track to be prosecuted and incarcerated as adults, taken away from that system. Collectively, by not using prison enhancements, we have at least, and this is a really conservative number, at least saved the state 18,000 years of incarceration in one year. Now understand People are being held accountable, and some people that are dangerous are being incarcerated. They're just simply not going to prison for the rest of their life. They're not going to prison for 18 or 20 years when the intervention could be much less. If you do the math, we're talking about billions of dollars. And this is critically important when we understand that we spend approximately $16 billion in incarceration. And I'm not talking about jails. I'm talking about prisons every year. And only 4% of that is going to rehabilitation and reentry. We need to turn that around. That was done because of you. We started prosecuting police officers for unlawful behavior. We prosecuted about 21 or 22 police officers last year or file on, including two officer-involved shootings. Most recently, uh, the case of uh, Mr. Twyman, who was murdered a few years ago. This work, again, is all of you, but we are facing this recall. And this recall, don't get me, don't get it wrong. You know, I know that there are some Democratic faces. I know that they're using some people of color at the face of this. But let me tell you who is behind this. A guy like Tim Leinberger, I'm sorry, who was the campaign manager for the Trump 2016 election in Michigan. He's heading communications. A guy like Steve Cooley, a Republican former district attorney who has been one of the more, led one of the most carceral periods in L.A. County, is behind this. I'm proud to say that I'm actually making the, the Tucker Carlson show at least two or three times a week now. And you know why I say I'm proud to say that? Because I'm obviously getting their attention. But we have to work together. We need to ensure that we're not elevating the narrative that is being planted in social media and in places like Fox, the fear-mongering narrative about, you know, the the the, the world's coming apart, we're having all this homicides. Yes, we do have an increasing homicides. It's a national problem, but let's go to the root causes of the homicides, right? We're not going to fix this by incarcerating our way out of this. Yes, some people unfortunately will go to prison. But the reality is that until we begin to deal with the issues of mental health, like I heard Jennifer talked about, until we hear, until as Bobby indicated, until until we start creating meaningful interventions, meaningful resources at a community level to deal with youth and education, until we start providing housing, until we really get serious about getting people meaningful employments, Those are the things that are going to reduce the violence in this country, and they're going to reduce the violence not only for a short period of time, but are going to create sustainable solutions. If we go back to the tactics of the 80s, we will continue to incarcerate black and brown people, poor people, and at the end of the day, all we're doing is destroying one generation after another. We know much more today than we did 30, 40 years ago. We know what works. We know what doesn't work. But the only way that we're going to move forward is if we work together. And I you know, I, I don't want to put all this burden on you, but the reality that really so much of this comes to the shoulders of progressives, right? The things that are deemed to be sort of. You know, out of the norm, progressive policies are the things that years later then become the norm, right? Social security was a leftist idea that, you know, my God, we're going to bring communism to this country. Who can imagine this country not having social security today? In fact, I would argue that when we walk around this country, some of the people that benefit the most from this are this very poor red states, like, you know, deep south, right? Uh, The benefits from the social welfare systems that were pushed through a very progressive agenda. We're talking about universal healthcare today, like in some places you think you're killing babies. You know what? I guarantee you that 20 years from now, universal healthcare will be looked upon as the norm, as something that you know we all scratch our heads and say, how could you live without it, right? But I understand that progressives take a beating on those things today, but that doesn't mean that we can walk away from it. And our criminal legal system has to be shifted from a criminal legal system to a true system of justice. And the only way that we're going to bring justice to the system is we have to go at the core of the systemic racism that has driven the policy that caused so much destruction in our community. And by the way, and it's important we discuss this, this is not a, a, a binary decision that you do progressive, that you do reform and somehow we're going to have more crime and more insecurity. To the contrary, we know That actually by reforming, by bringing intervention, by bringing healthcare work, by bringing all these other services, we will have a safer community, a healthier community, and it will be much more sustainable for the fraction of the cost of incarceration, for a fraction of the cost of all the things that we're doing today that is destroying our community. Again, I thank you deeply for your support. I look forward to working with you. We have a real fight in our hands in LA County. We have a real fight in our hands in many other places. You will make a difference. We will make a difference, but the only way that we can do that is by working together and understanding the import of our work today. Thank you.
0: And thank you so much for being with us here today, um, DA Gascon, we're very honored by your presence. Um, And hopefully folks feel that inspiration that we're here to fight for the soul of our cities and our counties. And we're gonna do that with our actions and our words. Um, So next up, we have another wonderful 10 minutes to speak about one of the other big topics impacting our great state. I'm here based out of Oakland, Ohlone land, and whenever I've seen polling, it's the number one issue for folks in my area. 98% of residents in Oakland believe that the number one crisis that government needs to address is housing and homelessness. Um, And I'm not only honored, but I'm a little bit starstruck to kind of introduce the next person, um, not only because she's a true champion of the people, but because she's also like a longtime, very seasoned progressive Democratic Party activist who has been constantly pushing the party to the left. And that's so important, as well as the everyday work that she does. Um, and, you know, as I said, Susie Shannon hasn't just thrown down to truly eliminate homelessness and to provide dignified, habitable homes for people. Um, she also understands the nexus of housing and homelessness with the tremendous amount of displacement that we're seeing, particularly uh, throughout our cities and counties um, as a renter. She's also a huge advocate of renters, having pushed a lot of legislation to protect some of the most vulnerable renters in the state. And I always joke, being from the Bay Area, that you're not really a renter unless you've experienced at least one no-fault eviction in your lifetime. Um, unfortunately, that's the sad reality of where we live. Um, but again, Susie Shannon is uh, you know, also one of your commissioners, if you're in L.A. County, has been a commissioner since 2014, has worked with the executive director of then- uh, poverty, uh, poverty Matters, um, is, serves on the Democratic National Committee, the Democratic Party, the Los Angeles County Democratic Party, and is here to share with us some really, really amazing and big ideas. Um, you know, when I think of Susie Shannon, I don't think incremental change. I think big ideas that will profoundly impact people in California. And then after Susie speaks, she will be introducing a, another very special guest. Um, Susie, are you here and can join us? Yep, I'm here. Great. Thank right. you so much. Great. Thank you, Bobby,
14: so much. Bobby is my sister in the struggle for affordable housing. And we work together. And uh, I just want to give her a huge shout out to for all of her incredible work. Um, so I'm coming to you today, obviously, from California, where we have 161,000 people who are homeless on our streets. Um, there is a movement, an incredible movement, which Bobby and I are both part of, to create more affordable housing, more homeless housing, and to expand rent control. However, there is a counter movement, which is spearheaded by corporate developers, and by the California Apartment Owners Association, to keep um, us from building um, the affordable housing to keep us from addressing homelessness because all they want to do is build market rate housing and to amass incredible profits. I um, know where did we see this more than last year in the state legislature when our two biggest housing bills um, qu- work to create more um, market rate housing uh for people who can afford it that would be about twenty five hundred dollars a month for a two-bedroom apartment here in los angeles and more in other cities like san francisco um to the absolute exclusion of a requirement for affordable housing they're pretty much rendering our um, homeless and low income community invisible and not addressing um, those issues. I find that to be absolutely unconscionable when we have 161,000 people that we know of uh, who are living on the streets, but also millions who are rent burden paying over 50%, 30% to 50% of their income and housing and even more. Um, so I just wanna say, to the progressive movement, to progressive Democrats of America, please. Um, It's not acceptable for us to support candidates or delegates for the California Democratic Party who are agents of these corporate developers any more than it is for us to support candidates or or delegates for the democratic party who are agents of our oil companies or our insurance companies who undermine climate change and who undermine single-payer health care we need progressives to step up to the plate and to call out these corporate developers and their cronies if we are ever going to see change so i am asking you please to join me in that movement um, and I'm also asking you to support three bills that we now have to address homelessness one AB 1695 which is adaptive reuse taking existing buildings and existing infrastructure and converting it for homeless housing and this is um, authored by uh, assembly member Miguel Santiago. Um, SB 1456 by Henry Stern to exempt 100% affordable housing projects from property taxes um, which is absolutely needed if we're going to build 100% affordable housing and um, Assemblymember Alex Lee's social housing bill which is very similar to council housing in Europe where we can actually provide government-owned housing or non-profit housing um, so that we can move people who desperately need housing and can't afford it like our senior citizens who are on a fixed income, like people who are on disability, like our families who are um, currently on CalWORKs, which is a state welfare program, and on and on. We need to make sure we are taking care of those who are most vulnerable. That is what we do as Democrats. That is what we do as progressives. So I hope you'll support me in supporting those three pieces of legislation. I will put them in the chat. I am deeply, deeply honored now to introduce the um, Council member, uh, Kevin DeLeon, he's an LA City Council member. Most of you know him uh, for his work as the president pro tem uh, of our California Senate. Um, He is responsible for passing SB 100, which is 100% renewable energy by 2025, Um, SB 54, which is the first Sanctuary state in the country for immigrant communities, California. That state um, has no place like home legislation, which pushed put 2.2 billion into homeless housing. And he is our last leader, actually, to get single payer health care off the floor of uh, off the floor of the state senate or really anywhere (laughs) in our legislature. Uh, So I'm very excited to introduce him. He's now a council member uh, running for mayor and um, he has done incredible work in the last year. He has served on this council um, on homelessness and his um, policy and programs for bringing 25,000 units um, online for our homeless community by 2025. Uh, Very proud to introduce Kevin DeLeon.
15: Thank you so very much, uh, uh, my good friend Susie, teaching everyone of you. It's amazing to be here. Uh, l- let me just say, in just a few months, Angelinos are going to be asked to make a, a very important decision uh, at a time when the average home costs nearly $1 million, the average apartment rentals $2,500, At a time when college students are living in their cars and wondering if they can afford to live in the city they love, or at a time when... The only thing that's standing between Angelinos keeping a roof over their head and living out in the streets is in fact, eviction moratorium. I think the question very simple and clear. And what kind of leader does Los Angeles want for the future? Does it want someone that works for the super wealthy and the elite or for people like us, working people, middle-class people? Someone who's a doer, who will tackle challenges before us with a sense of urgency or those who just very well intentioned, but lack the courage to do what's right. and At a very young age, you know that my mother, a single immigrant mother with a third grade education, taught me the value of hard work and for those good things that would come easy, who are overlooked, undervalued, underappreciated, and underestimated. And like my mother, you all know I've been a doer. I work hard. I keep my nose to grindstone. I keep my head down. And I fight like hell for everything that we have. For me, it's never been about being a good vote or being a good Democrat. It's about using my power to solve major problems, to take on Challenges that no other democratic politician would even touch to get things done for working families, and that's why you know we're at a place right now where you know the things that we've done together have become part of our political lexicon. Making the largest economy in the world to legally commit itself to 100% clean renewable energy, making California a state where it's a sanctuary state, tackling ghost guns before even one anyone knew what ghost guns were, negotiating the minimum wage $15 an hour making calipers and counselors divest from thermal coal, making affirmative consent for our UCs, CSUs, and private independent colleges, and even challenging the status quo in our very own Los Angeles for housing projects that's affordable for our unhoused community members who are over, over budgeted and take much too long. Uh, we are in an inflection point in our nation, in our, in our state, in our, our city, where we have the largest homeless population in the United States of America. But even then, you know, I've been able to build the largest uh, tiny home village in the United States of America. As Susie just mentioned, the city council, just four months in, being a council, adopted my 25 by 25 uh, vision, 25,000 housing units by the year 2025. It's the largest, uh, most ambitious plan of its kind anywhere in the country. If that means that I have to author initiatives like Proposition 39, Proposition 2, Proposition 68, or travel back and forth to Washington, D.C., to lobby Congress and do the right thing on immigration reform or or retirement security security or fight Wall Street or when I was sued by then Attorney General Jeff Sessions and head of the DOJ in D.C. because of my sanctuary state, then so be it. Because as progressives and as a PDA, we need to come together and utilize our power to effectuate the changes that are necessary to improve the human condition for all individuals, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you come from, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of which god you pray to, regardless of who you love. And yes, regardless of your legal status, because we're all human beings that deserve dignity and respect. And let me say something to all my, my good progressives. And you've heard me say this time and time again, I'm not interested in being a progressive, you know, within the context of being a bumper sticker progressive, sort of kind of be a, 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 theor, a theoretical progressive, a theoretician, if you will, Always talk about the same issue time and time and time again. You know, it's become a cottage industry among us on the left, especially those who are progressives. I'm all about being a progressive and getting things done that actually have a real impact on the human condition, you know, of the people that we care deeply about. Those who have little or no voice, whether it's in the city of LA, whether it's in the state of California or in in our nation. You know, when I became a council member, I inherited the largest homeless population in the entire, in the entire city of Los Angeles. I want to put this in context because in my district alone, I have more unhoused neighbors, friends, loved ones, our homeless community than every metropolitan city in America, except for three, New York City, Los Angeles, in the aggregate as a whole, and Chicago. So that means I have more unhoused neighbors in my district than the homeless populations in its totality in the cities of both Houston and Phoenix, the fourth and fifth largest cities in America. Uh, that means for for my good friends up in the barrier on the East Bay to be specific in Oaktown, I love Oakland. I love all my folks in Fruit Bell and around Lake Merritt, and you know, just across, you know, in Alameda, which is part of Alameda County, that city of Oakland. But I have more unhoused individuals than the entire city of Oakland. I have more unhoused individuals than the entire city of San Jose. And we're neck and neck right now with the city and county of San Francisco. I have more unhoused individuals than San Diego. Or when we think about Detroit, when we think about you know uh, Boston or New York, or we think about Washington, you see Baltimore, easy. That gives you the magnitude of this crisis and what we need to do to put a roof over the head and move with a sense of urgency. Because I can tell you this, we move heaven. We move heaven and earth when it comes to building football stadiums and basketball arenas, concert venues and skyscrapers into the clouds. But somehow, some way, the progress, uh, the the machine of progress, grinds to a screeching halt when it's about moving our unhoused neighbors into immediate uh, uh, housing. And pro- progressives, I'm going to say this: we all want permanent housing, no doubt about it. There is absolutely no No question. But what we can do also is we can't let the perfect get in the way of the good. Because it's not progressive to let people die on the streets. It's not progressive to let people just wither away slowly while we wait for the perfect to get in the way of the good. That's why it's a dual track. Get folks, you know, into housing in the immediate, give them the shelter that they need, that locked door, especially for women because the only thing that protects them is a flimsy zipper every single night from being sexually assaulted. And that's why collectively, whether you're on the left or the right, it doesn't make a difference to me, points in between. This is one issue that we can all come together and move with a sense of urgency to put folks, you know, and keep a roof over their head. So listen, I'm just honored that I have an opportunity to see all of my, my good friends here with me today. You're with me in the trenches. When no one was with me, the establishment was not with me, when in 2018, I, I, I took this dare and I stepped out, you know, into the, into the end of the cliff. And I said, you know what? I'll take on, you know, Dianne Feinstein, you know, and I'll make a run for the U.S. Senate. And you were there with me. I can tell you this right now. There were times when I was driving in the middle of Central Valley in California, going to this rally or this event, and I'm just looking out the window you know, with my face leaned up against the witness of, my God, what have I done? What am I doing? I got Barack Obama. I got Joe Biden. I got Nancy Pelosi. I got Chuck Schumer. I got the whole Democratic apparatus, not with me, against me. But it was you, all of you, PDA, that you inspired me. You motivated me. You moved me during those times when I just felt so low. But I felt like the world's against me. What have I just done? I remember with the member of Congress, um, I won't mention his name, but quote, you know, and he was quoting in LA Times. Kevin has just committed political suicide. How dare he? How dare he do what he just did? His career, because I'm not making this as a career, um, his career is over, you know, it actually had the opposite effect. But it was the women and the men of this great association, PDA, Progressive Democrats of America, who've been in the trenches. Before my time, you've been in the trenches leading the way, and that's why I think each and every one of you, you're you the OGs, you're the originals, you know, you are the originals. I know we got a bunch of other new progressives now, but this is the OG, all of you, you know, from the Bay Area to way up north to Ukiah, you know, and Sonoma and Napa and Chico, Central Valley on the coast down to San Diego, Southern California, LA and elsewhere. All of you folks, you know, have a special place in my heart. I just want to thank each and every one of you. And then we got, we're at an inflection point, but during these moments of great crisis is time for leadership. And I've always been honest with you and everyone else that I've always wanted to lead during a moment of great crisis. And that moment is now. So to each and every one of you, I thank you very much for this opportunity to say hi to all of you. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful, productive, you know, uh, Uh, a CDP convention, and do what you always do as PDA members, which is you kick ass, you lead, you know, uh, you kick ass and you ask for names later on. So do what you do. Always. Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart.
9: Thank you, Kevin, for being here. And I'm in your district. I'm in Lincoln Heights, and I'll see you at Tom's house tomorrow. Oh, wonderful. I'm looking
15: forward to seeing you over in Brentwood. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks, David. Well,
9: great. All right. So passing it off, Bobby, I think we have some more folks that uh, would like to speak. Sure do.
0: Yes, we do. We're going to have just two folks speak for like a minute or so um, and then start wrapping up. Uh, so I want to bring up if they're OK. Uh, and I know we're kind of maybe surprising folks, but I know that we have Carolyn Park here, who has a long history of being an activist and a lawyer uh, and working on really you know huge issues like police accountability and all kinds of intersectional issues. So,
16: um, Carolyn, if you have like a minute or so to just speak a little bit about what's going on with you. Yes. Thank you so much for giving me this space. Thank you all for all you do. (laughs) Um, So I am running for uh, an LA Superior Court judge seat, uh, seat 118. I'm running on a slate of four women attorneys, uh, three of whom are public defenders. I was actually recruited to run um, by some grassroots orgs like uh, La Defensa and Ground Game. I didn't think that, you know, this wasn't a thought for me, um, even like two months ago. Um, I thought, well, you know, the, the judiciary is like very, it's like these, you know, crusty crusty people who, who are more conservative. And, you know, I thought there's no way that i would i would actually you know win an election but you know what i'm going to make a place for myself we are going to make a place for ourselves because we have to balance out the judiciary which is the third um branch of the government we apply the laws and we shape laws um so You know, it's it's an overlooked um, it's an overlooked race. Most people don't know who to vote for in these judge races. I know you I know many of you don't know either and I don't blame you, (laughs) but this is why we have to get the information out there. We have to get the word out that we have to um, elect judges with progressive values um, who aren't just going to, um, you know, send people to to jail constantly and 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 also hold um polluters accountable white collar crime um criminals accountable so i really um again appreciate uh having you having me speak and i'm going to put my um info in the chat and i would we would really love your support any endorsements um donations all that just you know boosting us um thanks all
0: yes thank you so much and yes we do have to think about our courts and we got to take those courts over over and make sure that they're making good decisions to the benefit of Californians so very excited that you had a few minutes to come by and speak to us uh the next person we have is actually someone who's running for congress uh we have uh Culver City Vice Mayor Daniel Lee um, who is uh, actually became history as the first African-American member of the Culver City City Council, is also a veteran um, and has done a tremendous amount of work and is here to also speak to us for a minute or so about his efforts and his campaign. Uh, Dr. Lee, if you're here.
17: Uh, thank you, Bobby. And and I should make a slight correction there. Now I'm uh, Culver City Mayor Daniel Lee. Um, but thanks for having me here and letting me say a few words. I wanted to start off talking about Culver City in general and what we've been able to do with a progressive majority in a city that currently has a progressive reputation, but if you've known Culver City for a long time, it's still very conservative. We've passed reparations. We're the second city in the country to do that. We passed rent control. We passed a mobile crisis response pilot, which I do take a lot of credit for as a social worker. It was one of the things that I did when I was elected, talked to our police chief and our fire chief and told them that I want social workers to come into their departments. Of course, we were the first to vote to close down the Inglewood oil fields, LA County fold, LA city banning oil drilling. Now we've had a tradition of leading. As I heard Susie speak about before, one of the first actions I was able to do as mayor was to approve the purchase of two motels for adaptive reuse for permanent supportive housing and transitional housing. That's the type of thinking and action I would like to bring to Congress. My priorities are a more aggressive response to the climate crisis via things like the Green New Deal and ending fossil fuel subsidies, protecting a woman or person's right to choose uh, via legislation rather than relying on the Supreme Court. Finally, passing comprehensive immigration reform that includes both a path to citizenship and a robust guest worker program. Of course, passing the PRO Act to end right to work nationally. Of course, passing Medicare for All to bring single payer to the United States. And finally, protecting and strengthening voting rights. I'm happy to be endorsed by Blue America PAC, ADA Southern California, Ground Game LA, Progressive Asian Network for Action, Feel the Burn, uh, Democratic Clubs. SFE, Field the Burn, Democratic Club, uh, Los Angeles, the Center for Biological Diversity Action Fund, Marion Williamson, Reverend James Lawson, and a number of people that you know in the progressive movement um, would love to have the support of PDA as well. I know that there are other progressive candidates in the race, uh, but I think most of them don't have the track record of fighting and pushing as much as I do. And you can find out more about me at DanielWayneLee.com or on Facebook and Twitter at thedanielwainlee or on Twitter, oh, on Facebook and Instagram at thedanielwainlee and on Twitter at Lee 0 But thank you for allowing me a moment to speak today.
9: Thank you so much for being here. All right, Bobby. I think we did it. Um, that ends our luncheon, and we are only ten minutes over time. I don't know if that's ever happened in, in any with this amount of political speakers all at one time. Uh, we want to thank everybody for coming. Uh, before we sign off, Mike uh, or any of the leadership, is there any last words um, from you guys?
6: We've. Yeah, um, we do have a wrap-up and we're starting with Alan Minsky. Then I'll I'll throw to me.
10: Yeah, very quickly. First of all, for Daniel, I do want to uh, note, I think you weren't on the call yet, but, you know, we have not yet um, announced our national endorsements in California because of basically the crazy process about district setting across the rest of the country. PDA National decided to take a strategy of announcing our endorsements in Texas um and in terms of challengers now we're rolling out the states that are earlier in may and we're going to get to california very soon uh right now um we'll be announcing some georgia and oregon uh nominations or endorsements and that's about two to three weeks before california so within the next two to three weeks we're going to try to get this process rolling we have about five to ten endorsements that we'll be announcing in uh California. And um, we got to make sure that that process is expedited at the national level, so at the chapter level. Um, In places where there's even chapter overlap, what we'll do is we'll run a poll of our members in the district. And that, of course, has been difficult too, folks. So I do beg your patience because, as we know, the districts in California were set as well. We have to figure out who's in every district and so on and so forth, get the right zip codes. Maybe there'll be a few people voting outside the district, but they will be within the zip codes that are within the district, and that's how we'll proceed in getting our endorsements set. Um, but I know, Daniel, your, your race is definitely on our docket, and we'll be getting to it soon. Um, and Mike Ortega was on earlier. Mike has already been endorsed by a chapter. And so uh, michael probably our first california endorsement announcement, but then we're going to go one by one Everybody's going to get their own day whoever gets an endorsement and that's how it will proceed uh, great candidates coming forward nationally, but that's not the purview of this talk I wanted to mention something I didn't mention earlier because we did talk a little bit uh at the beginning about um projects relating to uh, the indigenous communities and we actually have a group of people that we work with up in machupta land uh, which is chico and paradise and this is a very, very important, uh, and it has a state component. So I did think it would be best if I elevated this maybe at the end. Um, as you know, um, indigenous land management is uh, gaining a lot of momentum as a strategy to contend with uh, uh, the way that fires uh, spread because, you know, the colonizers who came here, they, 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 they basically took the way the land was and made it completely out of sync with agribusiness and so on, including massive logging. And so Paradise, California, of course, the tragedy occurred there. And so the um, Machubta tribe um, are negotiating for land management contracts, and we're working with them in supportive of their project. And in fact, the two activists who we work with closely there will be testifying on a panel of Rokanas. Uh And I apologize, it's either March 14th or March 16th, and we'll get the word out. Maybe Mike Thaler can help me pass that along through the Podaca list as well, uh, because the contracts will go... And this is really important stuff, folks, because this is about bringing us back into balance with the land of California, which we know since Europeans have been here. the uh, allocation of the water, the um, all of the planting of, of uh, vegetation that doesn't really fit with the environment has produced now what is uh, contributes a, a, you know along with of course, uh, anthropogenic climate change to a, to an environmental and ecological disaster in all parts of California that can have life and death consequences. And guess what? Generally the Elon Musk's of the world, they're not the ones who are threatened by the fires. It's working class communities and working class communities of color. And uh, this is a really great project uh, that we'll be lifting up nationally and uh, also in the state of California. Um, So I wanted to end with that and just thank everybody. What a fantastic panel, what fantastic, fantastic facilitators and Damian and Bobby, thank you so much. Big shout out to, to you know, Ilka, Mike, uh, Danette, Dorothy, everybody on the steering committee who put this together. Um, and thank you, uh, Padaka. And thank you most of all, of course. Chairman Thaler.
5: And Finn says, have a great week.
6: <laughs>
10: that too. Mike, you're up.
6: <laughs> I, I am up. And um, I want to thank everyone who's attended. I hope you got... Uh, some uh, motivation from listening to what PDA and Padaca and PDA people like you are up to. Uh, Pay attention to the emails you get from PDA and Padaca as to how you can help. And you can always um, write us uh, or send us an email, I guess is the better way to say it, about ideas of what you would like to cover. Um, I too would like to help the Padaka and PDA people that helped put this together. And I would like to really thank our speakers who did a great job and our two co-MCs who did a good job. And, um, I hope to see you all soon in some statewide meetings and, uh, I had a great time. I hope you did too. Um, and uh, it's getting close to time for the second session of the uh, of the CDP uh, today. They went an hour over this morning. Thank you, CDP. Anyway, on that note, bye everyone.
8: Bye. Thank
6: hey. you.